welcome back to... Hey, great shots. <laughs> you know what's funny is, that is not Max Rothman, of course. That is Jonathan Kelly, who is coming back for part two of this U.S. Uh, U.S. Women's Tennis State of the Union recap about the 2018 season. But that sounded an awful lot like Max Rothman. Fortunately for us, it is not. It is a far superior expert, one of my favorite follows on Tennis Twitter, on the Rise blog founder. You know all the things he's done by now. It is our very own Jonathan Kelly. Jonathan, hey, great shot. Hey, great shout out. Thanks for having me back. Um, okay. And I would, I would never, never think of uh, trying to one-up Max. Uh, you guys have an amazing report, and he knows a sh- way more about tennis than I'd ever dreamed of. So, uh, are you serious? Are you seriously going to give him that easy of a compliment? Do you, you don't understand? He's going to listen back to that and be like, "See, that's why I should have been on the pod. It should have been me and Jonathan." Listen to this podcast. You, <laughs> you have no idea how right you are. <laughs> Oh my gosh, but as you can tell with Jonathan being back, we are here for part two of our U.S. Women's State of the Union pod. To listen to part one, check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. You can catch up on everything from the tennis world on that website. In part one of the pod, we gave our honorable mentions as well as our numbers 10 through 6 on the U.S. Women, our favorite seasons from this year. Uh, We are going to pick up, oh nope, sorry, we did 10 through 7. We are going to pick up here with number 6, and as you heard on the first pod this is about take 22 of us trying to record this pod so if jonathan and i start verbally jousting in this if the swearing picks up in part two that's what happens when you spend 10 hours with someone over a month <laughs> it's just it's just it's just bound to happen but all right with that jonathan let's pick up our debate let's get right back into it to recap our top 10 list i had whitney osegue you had allison risk number 10 number nine taylor townsend for me coco vandaway for you number eight coco vandaway for me Venus Williams for you. Number seven, Katie McNally and Coco Goff for me. Sophia Kennan for you. Jonathan Kelly, your number six season from a U.S. woman in 2018 comes from? So, Land of the Wahoos, University of Virginia <laughs> alum, Daniel Collins. Oh, Westoff, give me a Wahoo sound effect there. Yeah, uh, so, so give me the case. I, I Actually... I'm down to debate this one as well. This one will be very similar to our Sophia Kennan debate, I have a feeling. I have Collins number two on my list, and you'll give me a lot of for having her still at number two, but we can save that for a hot second. But I just think you're comparing her season to the rest of these players in my top six. Danielle makes the jump from number 160 to number 36, goes 33 and 21 overall in the year. She starts out the year with a Newport Beach 125K title early on, then goes on what might have been the best run from any unheralded player on the WTA of the season. Hyun Chung-esque in her dominance of uh, that the Sunshine Summer duo, whatever, where she makes the Indian Wells round of 16, then the Miami semifinal. Final. You know, she beats players like Townsend, Keys, Vandaway, Vekic, Begu, Pui, Venus, Risk, Kirstia, Suarez, Navarro, Azarenka, Lapko. To take, as I mentioned with Kennan, to take the jump from outside of the 100, uh, outside of the top 100 into the top 50, 
I mean, that's just remarkable. That's not something you see every season. And for me, that's why when you're considering the U.S. women, when you're looking back on the 2018 year, one of the things you'll automatically say, because it wasn't the best Serena or Venus year, is, man, that was the year Danielle Collins had her breakthrough, right? And I just think it was such a memorable stretch that I had to have her on, you know, my top three, number two for me. Uh, Yeah, and she would have been there if the year had ended after Miami (laughs) because she was, she was outstanding. She got those wins. Um, She had that that run to the, I think if she'd only done the run to Indian Wells, um, that still would have been one of the most remarkable accomplishments. And, And the following up, the following week, by qualifying for Miami and then getting to the semis with wins over Danaway, Vekic, Puig, Venus, um, was tremendous. Nothing. But her year kind of came to a screeching halt there, and she had maybe one or two signature wins, even though she was now in a place where she was seated at tournaments. And she just never, other than her run in San Jose, but even when she got to the semifinals of a premier event in San Jose, here were her wins. Danielle Lau, outside the top 200. Vera Lapko was good, but still young player, not one of the three top players from her country. And then a win over Vika, who was injured, uh, where she didn't even win a set. <laughs> that <laughs> and had a retirement. And then losing to Sakari, who is a good player, but a beatable player um, from a setup and five off. She just really, she didn't, um, she didn't finish well throughout the year, and, and she had some really bad losses. And then she ended the year with retirement, and then not even playing Fed Cup. I just it it felt so much like. And, and I watched her play at the Chicago 125K in the fall, and I really didn't see a plan B for her when her plan A, which is tremendous, That's a great point. Her plan when her plan A kind of fell apart. Um, uh, she she really didn't seem to have another place to go. And and the other thing was we were talking about Kennan's um, issues with her second serve in particular. Danielle Collins has really similar issues. And for someone with such an attacking game to, to not be able to trust your second serve and really um, not even have it be a weapon, but have it be such a liability. Because, I mean, girls are going to start figuring that out. Her opponents, girls, my gosh. Um, <laughs> the women across the net, are gonna, they're all young. They're, yeah, I mean, they're all... 40 years younger than I am, but they're all people are going to start being able to figure that out. And, and I think that's part of what you saw for the end of the year is players being able to stand the first few shots of a rally and then her just starting to miss. Um, so I, I desperately hope that she continues at this level, but uh, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put her in my top five years, although I might have her a little, a little bit too low. Maybe I could switch her with, uh, with the number five player. Well, that's fair, and we'll save that for when we get to number five. But for Collins, to me, I'm going to flip that argument. So you mentioned she does not have the best plan B, and I think that's a very fair point. Improvising is not Danielle Collins' skill, but her confidence in her game, the fact that she is so secure in knowing what she wants to do out on the court— That means something, especially for someone who came from college who might be considered a refined product by now. I mean, just the way she can attack, the upside is evident. And I just, I saw... But when she loses that confidence, she went one and nine after after that win over Vika in San Jose. When she loses that confidence, it's it's etched on her face and you can just see it in her posture. And um, yeah, I mean, all credit to, uh, uh, I don't think there's another women's college player who... 
um, who's reached that level in, in many, many, many years. So um, that alone is is huge props for her. But well, we we should also I I should say Daniel Collins, twenty four years old, I believe, born uh, actually December thirteenth. I have it in front of me. Uh, so happy early birthday to you, Danielle. Um, happy birthday, Danielle. <laughs> I just. I mean, she's not a finished product, though. This was really her first full season on tour, and to already display the sort of four-week stretch she did from Indian Wells to through Miami, that's impressive. That's a noticeable stretch. In fact, oh, outside of impressive. either, in fact, outside of either, you know, Serena or Venus, that's probably the most impressive four-week stretch we saw. Oh, and Sloan, I should mention from any, you know, U.S. player, U.S. female player this year. And to me, that's why I have her in that top two, because what she displayed this year, it, it it's not it's not something you see often. You don't see players make jumps like that unless they're, you know, coming from college like her, like a Steve Johnson, where now it's their first season on tour. And it's just, it's really impressive to me. That's why I have her number two. I just thought that the jump from her, I didn't expect it to come that quickly. And you're right, she's got a ton of points to defend in 2019. But that's a credit to the success she had in 2018. I think uh, if there's any way, and, and this is going to be really tough, but if there's a way for her to still be in the top 100 after Miami 2019, then that will be that will be a successful start of the year for her because she she's going to have to do a lot of winning between now and then to accomplish that. And she can do it on hard courts. And I think that the Australian open where she's not spending too much, um, be a great place for her to start. Hopefully she gets a nice draw there and can play herself into that tournament a little bit or get an early surprise win. Because after that, it's a lot of points coming off. Mm -hmm. Totally fair. Well then let's get into my number six player. And, you know, this is, uh, uh, as I said, number seven, I had McNally and Coco Goff. I had Sophia Kennan uh, at number three. This is the last young player I'm going to talk about in Amanda Anisimova, who I believe is 17 years old. This season she jumps, or she might be 16, I'll, I'll look this up after, but she jumps from number 182 to number 98, goes 24-9 on the year, and as we've mentioned earlier, you know, a player her age isn't allowed to play a full season on the WTA. She's got tournament restrictions, you know, no titles for her but she makes a WTA final in Hiroshima. She makes Indian Wells and Cincy round of 16. Some of her wins on the year, Falcone, Brody, Gibbs, Dalahide, Pavel, Youngchen- Pavel Youngchenkova, leave that all in, Westoff, I'm sorry. Kvitova, she beat Wang twice, Babos, Martich, Zhang. Uh, I mean... Uh, Okay, let, let, let's let's look outwards again, Jonathan. This will be our first big tangent of the of the second part of the pod. I'm going to give you six U.S. young female players, and I want you to tell me who of them is going to be the top six in 2023 in terms of ranking. Oh, oh no, seven. Now. I'm going to do seven. You're right. I looked at I looked at my old list. Thank you. Like I said, this is take two. Cut me some <laughs> slack. Um, Coco Golf. Cece Bellis, Amanda Nisimova, Whitney Osegwe, Sophia Kennan, Claire Liu, Katie McNally. Give me their rankings from you know lowest to highest in 2023. Who, who, what do you think that's looking like, that cohort? Do you want April of 2023 or like September of 2023? Well, I, I, would, I would do it go July 1st before Wimbledon, but after the French Open. So they'll have had half a season to establish themselves. All right, so, <laughs> ooh, okay, seven players, um, none of whom 
have ever won a WTA title. And Not even Bellis? No. For some reason, I haven't no, in my head. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. You're... No, she won my heart, not a not a title. But oh, okay. <laughs> so, I, I'm sorry. We, you know, I met her at the club tennis championships. She did the play by play. I was forever. I was so honored. Yes, it was. It was so fun. But yeah, sorry. Go on. Um. Okay, so this is just purely based off of basically what I see as their career potential. Because by that time, it'll be five years. Although Coco Coco Goff's gonna be what nineteen years old at that time. Wow. <laughs> wow. 19. Okay. So that actually changes things a little bit because I think I had her higher. And I will now, just thinking that she'll be 19 years old. Um, Who knows? Uh, But I'm going to put at number seven, uh, I'm going to put Katie McNally. Number six. And Katie, if you're listening to this, please know that I think all of you will be in the top 50 at this point. Which is so happy you made that point. Just because we may have one of these players lower than another does not mean we don't have them all as top 50 potential talents. Exactly. And also, I'm almost always wrong about everything, so (laughs) that's what it's worth. Almost almost always, like everything, the weather, like sports, like (laughs) the status of my relationship, everything. Um, Okay, so number... Number six, uh, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say Seaway. Number five, I'm going to say Claire Liu. Number four, CC Bellis. Number three, Coco Goff. Number two, Sonia Kennan. And number one, Amanda Anisimova. Anisimova. So you did not change the Anisimova pick, but I'm pretty sure you changed every other person in your list since Thursday. Well, you added... You added uh, the seventh in there, so things were going to adjust a little bit. Because I do love Claire Lou's game. I think she's a great um, swing from both ends. Yeah, and um, uh, I think she's a good athlete, and I think that uh, she's got a really, really fun potential. So I'm high on Claire. So with the disclaimer that Goff is going to be 19, which is right, I didn't even think about that either. Um, my <laughs> list looks, again, not to be disrespectful to anyone, I have McNally 7, Claire Lou 6. I just think they have the furthest to go in terms of the rankings. I think, I mean, Coco Goff obviously has a ways to go as well, but to be the number one world junior at 14, that's got to mean something. So I have McNally, Lou, I think Kennan comparatively plateaus as in maybe she gets to that top 40 but i don't know if by 2023 eh five years from now you know i'm sticking with it i'm gonna have kenan in around the 30s at number five i'm gonna have osegue breaking that top 30 at number four coco golf number three i think she's gonna be a rising star amanda nisimova number two and as i mentioned just because she was injured this year she's not on my honorable mentions or my list otherwise but do not forget about CeCe Bellis' talent. Do not, not forget, forget about, about her. No, no, no. I, I'm not implying you are. That was more a, a request to any listener out there. Do not forget what we have already seen from CeCe Bellis. This is a girl who's already been inside the top 50, who has already displayed she can win multiple matches at Grand Slams. She's not even 21 years old. You know, at this point, she's going to be, what, 24 maybe? And a 24-year-old CeCe Bellis is a scary proposition because she is going to be very, very good if she can stay healthy. I just, 
This is a very interesting cohort of names. And I, I want to ask you this, and then we can get back to our lists as well. But you talk about these seven girls versus what would maybe be their contemporaries on the men's side, the 97s and 98s. You have Fritz, Paul, Opelka, uh, Kozlov, Moe, Eubanks, and Tiafo. That wasn't by age, but I think those are all the names. Which That's seven are... Uh, El Escobedo's in 96, but again, now we're splitting hairs. Uh, oh, 97 um, 96. Yeah. Well, that's the okay. thing. I mean, the, these seven girls go No, I was just going to say, of of the two groups, which are you, who who has a higher average rank, or a lower average ranking, I suppose, in 2023? Well, I just want to point out that the age range for the girls is, I think, six or seven years between Bellison, or, you know, five or six years between Bellis and Goff. Um, versus a two-year span for the boys. Not that there's uh, nearly as much talent um, on either side of that that uh, cohort of, of young men, but that's a wide range of age, a wide range of ages for the. We're falling apart. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it's going to be a rough next 45 minutes, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um, so I don't think it's a fair one-to-one comparison. If you only had like two or three years of the girls to compare, then I think that the guys would have a higher ranking average or mean or, or whatever. whatever it is. But I think if you're including all of that, those birth years up to Coco Golf is 2004, then I would say that the, the girls will have a higher one, higher one. And in particular, cause I do see, um, Goff and Anisimova as potentially, five years from now, top 10 players. And I'm not sure. I think, I don't know if we're going to have two top 10 players among the men as high as I am on the uh, American men uh, in five years. Maybe we will, but I, given how much other, how much else is out there on the ATP, I'm not sure. So uh, I, I'm going to say the girls. I, I agree with you. I just think the upside for so many of the girls on this list is just that much higher. If you told me any of these girls broke the top 10, I'd say there's a world where that scenario exists, so I would believe you. Um, yeah, it's. And I also think that none of them have as glaring weaknesses in their games as most of the men do. As much as many weapons as the men have, each of them also has some, some significant weaknesses vis-a-vis as compared to their, their contemporaries from other countries. <laughs> Completely agree with you. But okay, let's move on in our list. Let's let's hop to number five. This is probably the one I disagree with you about the most. Okay. Uh, number five, I have uh, Jessica, pride of uh, Buffalo, Pagula. Um, <laughs> let me tell you why. That's actually what it says on the WTA site. But go on. As it should. Uh, she's she's the she's the she's the daughter of the Buffalo Bills uh, owner, which a lot of people and the Buffalo Sabres owner. She's got a real connection with that community. But I didn't realize until listening to Wertheim's podcast that her she's now being um, I'm sure she was coached by um, oh, help me with his name tennis channel guy. Uh, <laughs> I always made it, uh, not, not just the gimbal stop. Oh, <laughs> Jimmy Arias, who is also formerly a Buffalo, so um, she's got the means to hire whoever, pretty much whoever she wants as a coach. Um, and what she did this year, she started the year six twenty four. She rose to one twelve. She reached a final, a WTA level final, not an ITF, from the Qualies. She played only one top fifty match, but she won that match. She got to the semis of a 125K, and she started the year playing 15Ks. 
and made it to 112 in the world. And again, she can remain fit, which has been an issue throughout her career. There's no doubt that she's going to be a top 70, 60 player in, in 2019. Um, now, we're not talking about 2019 in these rankings. We're talking 2018. But um, first of all, anybody who reached a final at the WTA level, I put it in my top 10. And she did that. And the fact that she did it from nowhere um, was just incredibly impressive to me. And, um, yeah, it's probably a little higher than, than like, if I, if I really wanted to think about it, I probably would have put her below Collins and Kennan. But I, I'm not going to apologize for putting her on my list. <laughs> but uh, she was tremendous. No, that that's fair. Again, it, she made the sort of similar jump, not exactly the same because she's coming back from injury, but the same sort of jumps as in Anisimova, as in Osegway this season. The reason I have Pagula a little lower, she's 24 years old. That's a little a little lower. Said. You don't have her at all on your list. Well, in in my hypothetical honorable mentions I made between parts one and two, Pagula definitely qualifies for that honorable mention category. Uh, just any time you can come back from injury and regain any sort of form where you're taking out top 50 players, it's such an impressive accomplishment. Uh, for me, just... I don't know. The, the top five got a little bit. I mean, just the entire top ten. It was it was too crowded for me to include Pagula. The the person I do have as number five on my list, someone who maybe by accomplishment, you know, I think by ranking, she ended as the number three American woman uh, in the world. But I have Madison Keys, and the reason I have her number three, uh, number five. You know, the big stats, one, no titles for her this year. That's obviously incredibly disappointing. Two, in terms of the ranking jump, she goes from 19 to 17. I would have loved to see her jump into the top 10 because, as we all know, the serve, the forehand, the backhand, the power she can display from any part of the court, it's an elite trait amongst WTA players. And so for her to go 29 and 14, pretty solid, but no titles. Three semifinals on the year, two quarterfinals. She makes the U.S. Open semifinal, French Open semifinal, and Australian Open quarterfinal. Uh, she beats Garcia. She beats Pavlochenkova. She beats Vickery, Osaka, Georgie, Kerber, Sibokova, Kastakina, or Kasta, uh, whatever. Just leave it in as is. Um, it's a good year. But this is a year of her prime. This is the year she should have been making jumps similar to Sloane Stevens to where I know— and. You know, she did for Madison Keys. Madison Keys did make those sort of jumps at the big events. She makes, you know, three slam quarterfinals or better. That's an elite performance. But still, it's week in, week out, the consistency. We still just don't quite see it from her yet. And because of that, because I already expect so much out of her, a little bit disappointed with her 2018 season. Yeah, no, it was a really disappointing season. I know that she would say the same if you, you asked her, um, especially given her 2017 for, but she had, uh, let me look, one, two, three, four, four retirements or walkovers, and that doesn't even include the tournaments that she withdrew from before she even got to the draw. So she was not 100% physically, and you'd almost put an asterisk by her name. I had her... This is um, out of the blue for you, so please don't freak out. But I had her at number four this year. <laughs> you lied differently. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was not the same on Thanksgiving, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it. She wasn't. I had her at number three. I've actually moved her down to number four um, because it was a, a bit of an incomplete year. But you get to the quarter, quarters of the Australian Open, you get to the semis, the French Open on clay, 
she had she didn't drop a set. She beat Osaka. She beat uh, a very talented Mahalia Buzarnescu. She beat Kudenseva, not the toughest opponent at that level, but still getting to the semis of the French Open um, and getting the semis of the U.S. Open and uh, getting to the semis of the WTA Elite Trophy, even though I think that only meant like winning one match or something like that. Um, <laughs> Uh, before withdrawing again, so that would have been five walkovers or retirements. So uh, it was an incomplete year. Uh, she's somebody who started the year. Where was that number in the number four? Uh, Nineteen for keys. Okay, um, she's number seventeen. So not much of a not much of a change. Uh, um, and she stuck on three WTA titles uh, in her career, which is really low for her, in my opinion, where she should be given her talent and her successes at majors. I mean, for somebody who's had almost as much success as, as Sloane Stevens has um, at majors, the fact that she hasn't been able to get it done um, in the, although she's still two years younger than Sloane, the fact that she hasn't been able to get it done at the run of the mill. She doesn't play a lot of small tournaments, which is part of the reason why, but yeah, she's just, this this is going to be a really big year for her, an important year for her um, to make sure that she knows how to stay fit, that she does stay fit. And not all of that's up to her, but uh, uh, we can't keep it. She can't keep it showing up for the big tournament. She's got to start <sighs> showing up where she belongs in the top 10. That's that's fair. Um, I will say my last thing about Keys. One of my favorite losses of her from the season. Favorite being very relative. Um, she lost to Cece Bellis. Doe a second round. Don't sleep on Cece. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Don't forget about that. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Madison Keys. The reason I have Madison Keys so so low on my list five, meaning relatively low. Um, it's not that I dislike her game i love her game it's just for me my expectations for her have gotten so much higher because i know what she's capable of and to me she's ready to break through that top 10 it's a matter of you know when not if um but okay you mentioned you had i get to say one last thing which is that you know right now <laughs> we're in an age of of, of counter punchers being like the the rage most for most of 2017 and most of 2018 that was um if you were a counter puncher you were a favorite to win i think we're starting to see a little bit of that go away I, that goes well for madison if you look at um naomi osaka and sabalenka both of those have are better defenders than madison although her, her defense improved i think over the last couple of years um but i think uh, we're going to start seeing a little bit faster services and i think we're going to start seeing um uh, power players being able to figure out some of the counter punchers, and I think that that bodes well for for Madison going forward. No. Totally fair. Well, then let's get into my number four player, and I'm going to be honest before I give this take. I've already been talked out of it once. I acknowledge going into it that I'm wrong. You know, Jonathan, you proved me wrong. I want to give you the chance to do that again. Um, number four for me, I have Serena Williams, and. Uh, let me let me let me start by saying this. My l- most loving mother, who I mentioned in too many podcasts, is an OB/GYN. So I understand the rigors and you know of childbirth, of of laboring a child, of having them grow, having a fetus grow inside of you. And for her to win the Australian Open while pregnant is one of the most outstanding achievements, probably in sports history. Just the fact that she did that with someone growing in her. I mean, you could argue it's a doubles title for her and Olympia. It's that impressive. Um. But just looking back on Serena's season, 
you know, starts the year number 22, at one point drops outside of the top 400, obviously is able to build her way back up to number 16. She goes 18-6 and six on the year, no titles, but she does make Wimbledon and U.S. Open final. Uh, she loses in the French Open round of 16 as well. Some of the players she beat, she beat Burton, she beat Meldenovich, she beat Georgie, she beat Georges, she beat Gavrilova, she beat Venus, Kanepi, Pliskova, and Sevastova. Um, in terms of some of her worst losses, you know, she lost to Osaka and Miami first round three and two, and we're not going to talk about the U.S. Open final, Jonathan, because we've left it in the rearview mirror. Uh, she also lost to Kanto 1-0 in San Jose. Maybe the first time in my life Serena has lost a match 1-0. in um, You know, at the time, the reason I said I had her a little lower is the jumps I saw from Kennan and Collins. You just don't see jumps like that every year, and when you do, it usually bodes well for the prospects of the players making those jumps. So if we're going to have Kennan and Collins be staples of our tennis lives for the next five years, and this was the year they established themselves, that to me is extremely valuable, and it's why I have them both at spots three for Kennan and two for uh, Collins, but... Like I said, I acknowledge I'm wrong, Jonathan, and why don't you inform the listeners as to why I am? Uh, she reached two major finals. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Well, You're right. Well, what, other, what other American reached two major singles finals this year? Uh, Coco Goff? Katie McNally, McNally maybe? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're right. I mean, <laughs> singles. Well, I mean, it's just not it's not even it's not even close relative to where she finished last year she was 22 last year and she improved to 16 this year it's better than keys that's why she's ahead of keys <laughs> she won three times as many matches as she lost she um did this all she's nursing nursing for most of the year if not the entire year um these are these, and she's also, like, other women have come back soon after childbirth, within a year after childbirth, and done okay. But none of them at her age um, that I know of, she's, again, like, as marvelous as what Venus is accomplishing at her age, Serena's less than two years younger, and she's accomplishing that much more. Um, and you said that she was outside the top 400. She's out of the rankings altogether. Now, that didn't affect her ability to get into tournaments, of course, she had protected rankings, but she didn't have protected seedings. She was unseated at most of these tournaments. The only, only knock on her year was, besides that contest loss, which was bizarre, was uh, explainable. The only knock was that she didn't beat any top 10 players. She was one in three against the top 10 on the year. So she only had one win. And that was at the U.S. Open quarterfinals over Pushkova. But that was a really big win. Pushkova was a top 10 player this year. Almost throughout the entire year, she got back to where almost as good as she was when she was number one. And Pushkova was the one who beat her uh, when she was going for the for the calendar slam, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't she? No. I'm sorry. I didn't read that. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pushkova, um is was played had an outstanding year, especially on our court. So, uh, yeah, that you can say that was a bit of, um, but then she beat, and she beat Pushkova. Um, her losses in the last two major finals of the year were disappointing in one case and devastating in another case. 
Um, and she didn't play the fall season like she often doesn't. But um, I, I don't think it's fair to hold her being Serena against her. She did something that no other player did um, and uh, needs to be rewarded for that. And even if you did hold her being Serena against her, this is Serena with child, and it, it's just a different situation. Yeah, I again, you're right. I, I fully acknowledge that. I just I really value those jumps by Kenan and Collins. But this is the most mean, improved awards, you know. I, I value true. jumps as well. That's true. That's but true. To me, I value accomplishments first and then jumps. And that's, to me, that's fair. For and accomplishment. It, it, uh, and Serena's graded on an unfair curve. And I really think what this year tells me more than anything, the Serena serve, I mean, she has a lot of other strengths as well. But the Serena serve is the best shot in WTA history. I mean, she is in every match because that serve, it's just dominant. It really is. And if you don't, you know, you haven't had the chance, go watch Serena play in person. Don't miss out. Don't let yourself not see her play before she retires. It is... It's one of the most amazing spectacles in all of sport, and it doesn't matter what sport it is. It's truly incredible. I She had a phenomenal season. You're right, Jonathan. I, I acknowledge I was wrong on this one. She is probably two spots too low. But, Correct. I'm right. Yeah, and you're yeah, wrong. <laughs> exactly. But moving on. Just you know right, my right. Na- I'm right. <laughs> you're wrong. Just for that, I'm not calling you for two weeks. Um, that's just <laughs> <laughs> right, for the course. Okay. Exactly. But you know my number three is Sophia Kennan. We litigated her in part one of the podcast. Give me your number three, Jonathan. It's Amanda Anasimova. And um, I feel like on our last podcast, I had her number four. I feel comfortable moving her ahead of Addison Keys because even though she didn't get to – any semifinals of majors um, at 17 years old. The fact that she went 24 and nine, she reached the WTA final as a 17 year old, which I don't think an American has done in many, many years. Um, the fact that she beat Kvitova, Pavlyuchenkova, and Parmentier all in straight sets in Indian Wells. And if you can watch the highlights from that Kvitova match, if there's any video that I recommend people watching, it's that one. The her it even though it only shows the WTA highlights, so it doesn't show the full match, it showed the completeness of her game at a remarkably young age. She's got the size. She's got the power. She has it on both wings, the ability to end shots. And it's not like explosive, like, like, um, Kvitova level power. It's not like she's steering the ball or key level power. It's, getting her opponent off foot, knowing when to play a drop shot, knowing when, uh, it's it's like watching a chess match, but with like a chess match, but after you've done some some uh, some uh, Red Bulls or something like that, it's, <laughs> it's really fun tennis to watch. And at some point, I saw that her um, her UTR, which is not the be all and end all of of rating tennis players, but her UTR was in the top ten of all WTA players, including higher than Sloane Stevens, higher than Madison Keys. For her UTR to be that high at this age and knowing that she can continue to improve and having reached WTA final, that yeah, that's why I put her. And she also cut her rate. I mean, the jump from 150 to top 50 is really good. But given that she can only play a limited schedule, 
I have to say that the jump from 182 to, to top 100 is just as impressive, if not more impressive. So she did it in terms of accomplishments, and she did it in terms of uh, ranking improvements. Yeah. Now, would you say it's at all in the realm of possibility to call her game style a female version of Stefan Kozlov? Um, the variety, the touch, the the feel, the way they move the ball around the court, the way they seem to be in a, a say it's like a subtle chaos. They want you to do many different things. Uh, no, I, I don't see it. I really don't. I, <laughs> I, I think maybe Kozlov is a junior, but when she's playing other players at the top level, I see her being much more willing to be on the baseline or able to be on the baseline, not just willing. Because I think that Kozlov sometimes is playing more defense um, than, than uh, Amanda is. And um, I think that relative power that she – like Kozlov can, can spank the ball when he wants to, but he, he doesn't do it nearly as consistently as she does. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, she, he also doesn't sort of like carry, carry himself. I also watched – in the run-up to this, I watched the final between her and Coco Goff of the 2017 U.S. Open um, girls final. And it's not their comparison, obviously, to say, you know, junior versus whatever. But she – like, they were confident. She does carry herself as somebody who should be on the stage. And um, uh, you never have any doubt about that. So, I don't know. I don't know about that in terms of game style. I, I think there's a few players – even American players who I would say remind me. She also has, I think, better consistency. Um, and that's one of the most impressive, impressive things about it. Like she will handle, she's great at handling and redirecting pace. Um, but she's also great at just sort of like, like keeping the ball deep on shots that I, that I keep thinking, oh, well, she's going to pull this one just wide or she's going to hit the net. She doesn't do it. She keeps the ball in play and is able to stretch out rallies. So, yeah, I would say no. All right. Uh, that, that's fair. I was going to say the next podcast topic you and I should do this off season is just 30 minutes on what happened to Stefan Kozlov and what we think well, about no, him. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, the jury's out on, on Stefan. He had, he had mono. You know, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. So that's what it was. It was mono? Yeah. You didn't read that? Why didn't he text me? Yeah, I feel like I deserve a text. Me like, yo, Alex, I am. Mon- I did not know that. Westoff, give me the breaking news sound effect. I love it. <laughs> Hour and a forty-five in for us, and we're still breaking news. All right. Uh, yeah, I there, agree was a, with- there was a piece. There was a piece in tennis.com or something like that about his dad, who was playing like the over forties championships for Russia, and it said that Stefan was. Uh, he said that Stefan had mono for much of the year. So. Um, Take that for what you will, but that's why I'm saying let's not talk about stuff on quite yet. Totally fair. I'm down. Well, we'll save that one then for 2019. All right. Number two, as I mentioned, I have Danielle Collins. Spoiler, I know you have Serena Williams. Uh, We kind of litigated this one already, but any final points on her season? All right, perfect. Then let's move on. Um, our number one player, and I can say our because we both have her there, 
this player jumped from number 13 at the beginning of the year to number six at the end. She reached a career high of number three earlier in the year, though, went 37 and 19, only one title on the year, the Miami's Masters, but she makes three WTA finals. Uh, she makes two quarterfinals. She makes the final of the French Open, Montreal, and the WTA World Tour Finals final, uh, U.S. Open quarterfinal, four Masters rounds of 16. Uh, of course, the player I'm talking or not Masters, Premier, I should say, excuse me. The player, of course, I'm talking about is Sloane Stephens. Jonathan, on our last pod, you mentioned Sloane is your favorite player on tour. So I want to give you the reins here. Why is Sloane the number one She's player? my favorite for- player of all She's my favorite player of all time. She's your Murray? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's my Murray. She really is. The first time I ever saw, like I followed her career a little bit, but the first time I ever saw her play at the U.S. Open, I think it was 2012, I guess I should look that up. Um, She was, I think it was a second round match against the Pashik. Uh, I, I, I have no That's idea. Right. It was either Kamira <laughs> Pajic or Tatiana Maria. I get them confused for no reason whatsoever. And her ability to just her, um, her style of play then, um, her ability to sack uh, her forehand, her ability to get to balls and do something with them, her, I don't know, there was something just about her. And then, um, after she won the smile, like it all just clicked for me. I just thought that she was uh, a wonderful thing to watch. And she's the only player whose who's matches I will not be able to watch sometimes because I get too tense or nervous about it. <laughs> after winning her first U.S. Open out of nowhere last year, almost literally out of nowhere, uh, then went on to an epic epic losing streak where she couldn't win another match for the end of the year and the beginning of 2018. And people were somewhat justifiably, although I had as my pin tweet for many, many months, just a reminder, you can't say anything bad about Sloan for the rest (laughs) of the year and into 2018 because people were starting to talk already, even though she had just done something that no other American woman uh, had done other than the Williams sisters for over, for, over a decade. Yeah. And I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> That's on me. <laughs> For her then this year to have an even better year to, and it's hard to say that uh, a year which you don't win a slam is better than a year than you do win a slam. But for her to reach the top 10 for the first time, which was, she was the best player never to reach the top 10 for her to reach the top 10 for the first time, for her to win a premier mandatory tournament for the first time, for her to reach the French Open final for the first time, again, kind of out of nowhere, and take a set off of the the champion and two-time finalist Simone Halep, for her then to make a final again uh, in Toronto, and to uh, reach the top three for the first time, uh, and to be eight and five against the top ten and reach the year in championship final, it was an outstanding, outstanding year, and uh, I one that I couldn't be happier with. Yeah, I wish she had won that that French Open title. Yeah, I wish she had closed out um, uh, Svitolina in in Singapore. But uh, 
for no other reason, she was the only player to win a WTA title, and that that put her at number one anyway, despite all those other things. For a runner-up year, she was the only player who wasn't runner-up in any of those tournaments. All right. Sorry, may I? No, no, I'm done. No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, you nailed it on the head. I agree. The only qualm I have with her, you know, you look at some of her losses. She lost to Georgie, Sydney first round, Zhang first round Australian Open, Vandeweghe one and zero in Stuttgart. I mean, to lose to Coco Vandeweghe one and zero in 2018. What? Um, you know, she loses to Vekic twice at the end of the year. Wimbledon first round, Tokyo first round loses to Conteve in the Wuhan first round. There are just some days when Sloan just doesn't have it. And it, it, that's rough to say, but it, it's just true. And it's not that her game doesn't translate well to every surface. I think it does. Maybe not the best to grasp, but especially to the clay and hard courts, as we saw in her run to the French Open final. You know, she is so athletic. She can hit on the on the slide, on the run balls, on clay, and just generate power that few other players can. Um I mean, she's the clear number one, right? The Miami Masters title, the fact that she made a Grand Slam final and the year-end finals. Um, you know, Serena was was really, really good in her two Grand Slam finals appearances, and I'm taking the argument as though I have Serena number two on my list. So Serena, is, Serena makes a claim to number one, I suppose, if you're factoring in those are the, you know, she's the only American player to make two single slam finals on the professional circuit, at least. Um she has a claim, maybe, but I I just don't know how you can go with anyone other than Sloan. Nope, you can't. All right, I, I like... So then, you know, we have finally made it through our list. Just to do a little recap, I want to give you um, some other notable players or who are around the top 10 uh, ranked American women at the end of the year. Uh, some players I thought of. Francesca DiLorenzo, number 167. Allie Kick, who is in your honorable mentions, 161. Christina McHale, 153. Claire Liu, 143. CeCe Bellis, 130. Vera Lepchenko, 129. Caroline Dollahide, 126. Nicole Gibbs, 124. Jennifer Brady, 115. Jessica Pagula, 112. Sasha Vickery, 103. And Coco Vandeweghe, 102. Yeah, a player we didn't mention, which is uh, a shocking, and I think it's a testament to the depth right now that we have amongst these American yeah. women. Um, but she now had, she had a wonderful year, and, and I really feel bad about not listing her in honorable mentions. And she was another one with a little bit of an asterisk because after the first part of the year, she really did struggle a little bit with injuries. Yeah, I totally fair. I agree with you. But then to recap, there are 11 American women at the end of the year inside the top 100, which, as Jonathan may have mentioned earlier, uh, but he definitely mentioned last time, that is the most of any country in the world. Uh, so I'm stealing that stat from you, stealing another stat from you. Uh, we have at number 11, Amanda Nisimova, who ends the year ranked number 98. Now I'm going to mix in the actual rankings with our list. Number 10, I had Whitney Osegway. You had Allison Risk. The number Number 10 American is Taylor Townsend at number 91. Uh, for number 9, I had Taylor Townsend. You had Coco Vandway. The number 9, Madison Brangle at number 89. Another player we didn't mention, but number 89 is pretty solid. Right? I mean, I don't know I, I, I don't know much about Brangle's season, but I, anytime you can finish in the top 100, very impressive. Um, number 8, 
she's someone who played. She's someone who played down a lot. She played a lot of ICS this year, and it paid off. And it was very smart for her because uh, it meant another twenty five k in the bank every time she goes to a major. So she's someone who has managed her odd career. I wrote a, one of my favorite profiles of her when she finally made her breakthrough in the top fifty uh, on my blog a few years ago. And you know, for a Delawarean who, who had no like her mom was her coach growing up. She wasn't one of these academy kids. She has a funky game, but effective and. Um, I say, you know, yeah, absolutely. She she did everything right this year, given some of the limitations that she has. Are we sure it's a Delawarean? Is that actually the phrase? Oh my God, uh, this is going to be such a long and boring story for everybody. But there was, did you ever hear the TV show Taxi? <laughs> I one, of the, one of the best sitcoms. Just listen. One of the best sitcoms of the late seventies, early eighties. There was this whole episode where Christopher Lloyd's character Jim. Uh, bought a huge number of TVs. It was like a metaphor about the new cable. And so all the TVs, they were getting different channels. So you had like 30 different stations. Everybody comes over and Chuck Hirsch is like giving them shit for um, watching TV all day and not doing anything productive. And he said, this is actually fascinating. I'm learning stuff. And one of the things was he was tuned into the Delaware House of Commons or whatever, doing a debate over whether Delaware people from Delaware were going to be called Delawareans or Delawareites. <laughs> and finally, Judd Hirsch like, got sucked and he's like, are you kidding? Delawareans are kind of be Delawareites. <laughs> uh, well, for Delawareites Is that everywhere. Is the most random thing that's ever happened on this, on this podcast? No. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to Max Rothman describe how he has a photo of Rafa Nadal in capris on like the ceiling of his room. <laughs> that was... That was really something, but that's up there for sure in the top three. Um, but moving on from the great state of Delaware, number eight uh, American Women on the Year. Bernarda Pera finishes at number 69. I had Coco Vandaway. You had Venus. Number seven, I had the McNally Goff Trio. You had Sophia Kennan. It's actually Allison Risk at number 62. Number six, I had Amanda Nisimova. You had Danielle Collins. That's Sophia Kennan, who actually finishes six at number 52. Number five, I have Keys. You have Pig- it's actually Venus Williams, number 38. Number four, I have Serena, but not really. You have Madison Keys, and number four is Danielle Collins at number 36. Number three, I had Kennan. You had Anisimova, actual number three, Madison Keys at number 17. Number two, I had Collins and slash Serena. You actually had Serena. Number two finisher is Serena at number 16. And number one, we all have Sloan, including the WTA rankings, where she finishes number six. Um, before we move on to predictions, before we move on to some fun trivia, which will be the last thing we do on this podcast, I promise, uh, give me your final thoughts, Jonathan, on the 2018 season from the American women. Uh, the final thought I'll have is that despite it being a disappointing year, despite it, all these runner-up finishes, um, it is nice to remember um, how – how much better American women are across the board than was the case seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, when Serena took time off or was injured or something like that, then you, there was nowhere else to look. And um, it's become the case now that pretty much week in and week out, if you just want to follow American women's tennis, then you're going to see um, a player go late into the week. Um, even as the WTA has been taken over to 
uh, a remarkable extent by by players from Europe. Um, there still is, you know, U.S. women are still most populous uh, country in the top 100, in the top 1,000, um, and there's a lot of good up-and-comers coming along. So um, I think we're going to be, even as the game becomes more global and more popular, I think we're going to see a couple of golden years coming up. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think one of the things we focused on in this pod, if you're looking at the big themes, is how many young, talented players there are, and even the older players on our list. You know, the Collins, the Risks, um, the Keys, the Stevens, they still have plenty of years to go. One could argue Sloan Stevens, Madison Keys, they're just starting their physical primes now. So it is certainly an exciting time on uh, for American women's tennis. But okay. We're officially at the two-hour mark of my recording. I think it's the perfect time to do our last thing. We like to end all of these podcasts with a changeover chat where we can have a little bit of fun, do some guessing, do some predictions. So, Westoff, if you could, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat... Rothman, I hope you listen to that one and know I'm a little bit better than you at singing. That's actually so false. But still, Jonathan, you lined up so pretty good. Thank you. I'm I'm flattered. I very much it sounds way better over headphone than it will when you hear the actual interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but moving on. You have some fun predictions and some fun trivia for us. Let's rock and roll. All right. Well, I just wanted to do a quick couple of predictions for um uh, what I think that the uh, U.S. women are going to be uh, at the end of 2019. And I have my top 10 list, and they're a little bit nutty, a little bit crazy, but um, and I don't think they're actually accurate, but I still decided <laughs> to go with them. So are you ready for them? Always ready. ready. I'm leaving out some really, some really, really talented players. and um, Enough prefaces. And- Get me to the list. Okay, fine. <laughs> Number 10. Number 10, Catherine C.C. Bellis. Number 9, Taylor Townsend. Number 8, Claire Liu. Number 7, Bernarda Pera. Number 6, Venus Williams. Number 5, Amanda Anasimova. Number 4, Sophia Kennedy. Number 3, Sloan Stevens. Number 2, <laughs> Serena Williams. And number 1, Madison. <laughs> so... I also compiled a list, and I should say I have your list from last time, and you did not deviate, which I very much appreciate. Um, For me, I have Caroline Dollahide. I think she's going to – right now I believe she is the number – wow, 17-ranked American, but I can see her making that jump next year, as I mentioned. I just think her game is pro-ready. I think Venus is going to drop another step next year, but I'm not willing to take her out of the top 10, so I have her number 9. I have Townsend, 8. Danielle Collins, 7, who I noticed is not on your list. I agree it's going to be hard for her to defend points. I just think she survives that opening slate. Probably rounds out into about the top 50, top 60 range, which is probably where she should be. Um, Number 6, I have Amanda Nisimova. I think she continues to jump forward, but she can only jump so high when you can't play a full schedule. Number five, I have Sophia Kennan. Number four, I think CeCe Bellis comes back firing. I said this last time, but people forget everything you've seen from Sophia Kennan, 
you have also seen from CC Bellis in 2017 and 2016. So just don't forget about her, guys. I'm telling you, she is the bounce back player for 2019. Uh, or I could be completely wrong, but let's hope I'm not. Um, number three, I have Madison Keys. Number two, I agree with you. I think Serena has another year of you know dominance relatively left in her. And then number one, I have Sloan. I think Sloan started to put it together this year. We saw it at the French Open final. We saw it in the U.S. Open quarterfinal. We saw her at the year-end finals. She's a primetime performer, and I think there is something to that. I think that's why her, Keys, Serena will be the top three American women moving forward. I just think they're the best American women right now under pressure. Yeah, and I hope you're right. And I think that, you know, part of me just, I have to lower some of my favorites sometimes because I don't want to get my hopes up too high. That's just how I roll. Um, I think both of us are dead wrong not to include Coco Van Way in our top 10. I just, and there's no way that, that 20. There's just, there's not room. Again. It's hard. There is. <laughs> she's a player who's been in the top 20 for a couple of years. She had an off year, but she's she's got way too much game. Um, and if she, assuming she's healthy, she's just, she's not going to have all those first round losses. She's too, she's just, no, she's, she's too good. Well, I'll say this. It's funny that I didn't have her in my top 10 Americans and yet I had her being ranked higher than Jack Sock next year. So you're right. I'm probably, I'm probably think that Sock are going to have a, uh, something of a bounce next year. <laughs> yeah. All right. You're right. All right. What else you got for us? Um, I have my 2019 men's predictions, uh, number 1 to 25. I, I tried to do it. these as fast as possible last time, so I'm going to try to do it again. So hopefully everybody has their, um, if they're typing along, has their fingers super <laughs> yeah. oh, warmed up. I'm ready. And I'm going to give you where I think they're going to end up. So here we go. Number 25, Christian Harrison, 243. Number 24, Stephen Kozlov, number 234. Number 23, Ty Quiet Castle, number 213. Number 22, Mitch Kruger, number 199. Number 21, Donald Young, number 188. Number 20, Tim Smichek, 175. Number 19, Anastasia Kobe, 158. Number 18, Chris Eubanks, 130. Number 17, Mo Rubin, 120. Number 16, Tennis Angren. 115, number 15, Bjorn Fertanzo, 101, number 14, Tommy Paul, number 100, number 13, Ryan Harrison, 98, number 12, Jared Donaldson, 95, number 11, Mackie McDonald, number 90, number 10, Bradley Klein, number 78, number 9, Michael Moe, 71, number 8, Dennis Kuba, 68, number 7, Ariel Pelzo, 51, number 6, Steve Johnson, 49, number 5, Jack Sock, 47, number 4, Sam Quarry, number 41, number 3, Taylor Fritz, 29, number 2, Francis Siapo, 21, and number 1, John Isner, uh, ending the year, again, the top 20 at number 19 so that was awesome uh a couple takes one i i know you have him ranked i think around 19 i still think you're a little too high on tim smichek i think you're too low on stefan kozlov i think he has to get back into the top 200 next year otherwise he is in some serious trouble um we had this debate last time and i kind of want to do it again bjorn for tangela at 101 what the f*** are we going to do about Bjorn Fertangelo? I mean, the guys, he's got it all. All of the skills are there. His game looks like a top 100 player, and sometimes he shows that level. And it's just he has not been able to put together, you know, six, eight-week stretches where he t- he uh, accumulates enough points to solidify himself in the top 100 for a prolonged period of time. Right. Um... I I also think you're too low on Ryan Harrison on a side note. You do. I think Harrison could be ranked in that uh, you know proximity of Americans, but there's no way he drops out of the top 90 next season. Really? Yeah, there is a way. I mean, he's defending a lot of points to start the year again. I mean, 
Yeah. I said this to about Tennis Angren last year when we did this podcast, and I thought I said that he wouldn't stay in the top 100, and lo and behold, he had that magical run. He is so uh, In Australian Open. He yeah, is. but yeah, that's not going to happen <laughs> again this year. And then he's got an ATP final to defend in Houston. That's 150 points. Uh, I see um, I see Ryan Harrison's year kind of similar, where it was really, really front-loaded. Um, he's a talented guy. He has the ability to compete in best of three matches with um, with 80% of the guys in the top 100, which would be 80 guys. <laughs> um, that's my little joke. But um, back to Bjorn. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. He's He's not doing it at... He's not doing it on clay like I think he should, given that he was a French Open champion. Yeah, he's not. He's not doing it at the. Um, some of his losses were were just not. He just plays scared. He plays a little scared. Yeah. You can Maybe see it. Right. He just when when he's on the run, when he's stretched, he's capable of hitting backhands on the run, forehands on the run. I've seen him do it and. Too often he goes to the slice, especially on the backhand side, and it's maddening. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, I, it, it, I like you look at some of his losses. He'll have a he'll have a better twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen than he had at twenty eighteen. I'm dead set convinced of that. And I think last year he started off slow, partly because he ran himself a little ragged at the end of twenty seventeen, and that wasn't quite the case this year. Although he did retire against Evan Song in the in the Houston Challenger. Maybe he shouldn't have played that tournament. He was trying to get into the top 100 again. Um, I think he's going to be stronger to start the year, and I think he will – I think we'll start seeing him – you know, he's still about 25 years old, so he's still on the younger end uh, of it from the ATP, I think. But there are just too many many times that I've seen him last and too many just scratch-your-head losses. Um, Nobody of his talent should have that make me – just unsure about his his long term stay in the top eighty or what have you. Yeah, I I think all of that's fair, and I think we should litigate this top twenty five when we get a little bit closer to the Australian Open. Um, any, any you got anything else for me? Um, yeah, we just one thing that we talked about last time is who do you see on your twenty twenty Olympic team? And I'm still curious to know if you thought about that anymore. If you have uh, ideas of if, assuming there's going to be four men and four women in the 2020 Olympics for representing the United States in singles, who would you think those players will be? So I think no Isner and no Serena for sure. I think neither of them played in 16. I know Serena was it was pregnant. And had no, Serena did play. No, no, she did, did oh, didn't I do this last time too? Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> she lost in the third round of Svitolina, which is not a horrible loss in retrospect, but not a great loss. Yeah, again, what I remember from 16 is two things. Novak crying. Pui, or I guess three things. Pui jumping up and down, and then my boy Andy taking home the title. Oh, my God. And Juan Martin, of course, was excellent. But getting back to it, um, no Serena, no Isner. I think we see Keys and Sloan for sure. I'm going to throw Bellis in that mix. And I'll throw Serena in there too, just to be sure. I'm just gonna throw in my top four, and that way I have a Williams covered. Um, on the men's side, assuming there are no Bryans, I think Jack Sock goes for doubles for sure. I think. But I'm asking for your singles list, so it's basically who the top four oh, players okay. are who want to play. I'm, I'm down with that. I think Fritz for sure. I think. 
I, the Francis forehand will always worry me, but I'll throw him in there. Um, so Taylor, Francis. I'm going to throw Riley in there too. Screw it. Riley. And I think Steve Johnson. I think no one thrives in the team Olympic environment more than Steve Johnson. So he's going to be my just got to get there, though. I love that yeah, thing. Yeah. I just, he's got to get there. And um, I think he can. I think he's, his best tennis may be ahead of him, and his best tennis took him 21 in the world. So um, I just, he's still shown some fragility since his, uh, his father died. And I just, I don't know what his career is going to look like after this because his father was such a huge part of his, his career. Um, Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you a question or sorry, not, not Olympic question. I want to hear your teams, but then I have one final question for you. Okay. So real quick, I'm going to go a little bit different than where I went before, but I'm going to say uh, my, my, <laughs> just for fun, my 2020 Olympic team is going to look like uh, Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiapo, Riley Okalka, and Tommy Paul. Ooh, be... <laughs> I like that. Uh, Tommy. And then um, for women, I'm going to say it's going to be Sloan, Serena, Madison Keys. And I'm going to put as my fourth, um, I'm going to put Amanda and Asimova. That's not, I, I like both of those teams. Um, yeah, I'm all in. I like it. I'm also just. It, it, I'm dead. It's 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 hour twelve of the Never Ending podcast. Um, I was going to re-ask you your trivia question because I think you'll know the answers when we can zoom through it quickly. Sloane Stevens became the eleventh American woman to enter the top three this season since something ever since something ever ever ever. Can you name the eleven women as too quickly and or? I, I mean, I have them in front of me, so I'm ready to test you. And Mark Seiko, uh, Chris Evert. Correct. Um, Martina Navratilova. Correct. Who I did not realize was American. Tracy Austin. Correct. Uh, Monica Mo- Sellis af- after her stabbing. Which I referred to as, last time we did this pod, who was who the name of the woman who got stabbed? But yes, yeah. it is. Mon- not my best moment. No, well, when she got stabbed, she was not playing. She was playing for Yugoslav, so it was only after... She came back to the, she was U.S., but then she was top three. Um, uh, Lindsay Davenport. That's five. Serena Williams. Six. Venus Williams. Seven, and we'll count Sloan as eight. Jennifer Capriotti. Uh, I think you said her already. Am I crazy? No, you didn't say her already, but yes. That, that's <laughs> Yes, Capriotti. Um, Andrew Yeager. Andrea Yeager. And did I say Lindsay Davenport? You did. There's one more left. Oh, shoot. Oh, my God. And this is my question. Um, Let's go. I'll tell you. I'm not giving uh, you a hint. You don't get okay. a hint. For real, this for everything uh, wasn't Zena Garrison. It was. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Pam Shriver, of course. That's correct. Well done. Pam Shriver is the last name on that list. And I believe the ones I didn't know were Andrea Yeager, where it was the only name I'd never heard of before. Um, so. so she came in none after she stopped playing. It shocked anybody who watched her play because she was a little <laughs> bit of a hothead at the time. Um, good question. Good question. Uh, speaking of a nun, I'm ready to find religion after this pod because I need something to take my mind off of the tennis. Again, I, I want to leave you uh, any final thoughts before we go. Uh, I just want to know if I can ask you a trivia question. Always, always. Okay. Nine American men. This is a men's. 
so you should have a chance. <laughs> Wait, American. I did well on that question when we recorded that pod the first time. I think I got like seven or eight of them without a hint. I don't think I'm, so. Okay, because I didn't know Monica Seles' name, you're holding that against me. But whatever. Because I you didn't going. know that Martina Navratilova was American. <laughs> uh, only, yes, she. Um, okay, so here we go. Nine Americans born after 1985. Only nine born after 1985. So that's quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Nine Americans born after 1985 have reached the ATP top 50. Only nine? Only nine. All right, I think I can do this one, yes. All right, let's try it. Okay, John Isner. Isner. Sam Query. Sam Query. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're already wrong. <laughs> no, not Isner. Isner's older than that. Yeah. Sam Query. Yes. Steve Johnson. Correct. Francis Tiafa. Taylor Fritz. Yep. Holy shit. Born at, uh, Ryan Harrison. Yep. Jared Donaldson. He was 49 for a hot sack, right? Yep. Um, 48. Or he was 48 even. I'm trying to think. Oh, Dennis Kudla? No, he's never reached the top 50. Never reached the top 50. I have three more. Three more. Uh, who reached the top 50 mile? Oh, Jack Sock. Yes. I can't believe I didn't name him. All right, two more. Two more. Think, Alex. Who has played a Davis Cup or anything and is relevant? There's no more young guys on the list. Only three have made the top 50. Because Escobedo did not. Who's like a oh, – oh, D.Y., Donald Young. Yep. He's number eight and one more. Uh, Smechek didn't. Um, uh, Klon? Nope. No, he was sixty something. Um, did Sandgren? Yes, he did. Uh, I, was give you a, I was gonna give you a hint, like I will volunteer to <laughs> give you a hint. Uh, that yeah, volu- he was number forty-seven earlier this year. That volunteer pun was worse than my Allison Risk puns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but more it was uh, not. I mean, she used she used risk risk for reward as her Twitter handle, so that was a little obvious. Uh, well, I don't stalk the Twitter. I, well, I do, but I wasn't going to admit it. Um, yeah, I, I those nine sound about right, and I think that number has the potential to jump even more so as we move forward, you know, 2019, 2020. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, seriously. Otherwise, we will be back here ranting for another two hours. But seriously, Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and do this podcast. Uh, it's always great to get to look at the big picture things with you. And I had a blast, even though this is round two, you know, maybe next time I'll delete. Now I can't do this topic again, but expect me to start deleting pods. So we have to do them twice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Awesome. But then one last time for our wonderful guest, Jonathan Kelly, for our super producers, Daniel Westhoff and Max Fliegner, who truly have a of a job to do on this one. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jonathan, what do we say to our listeners? Hey, great shot. (laughs) Oh, perfect. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.